some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Welcome, everybody, to a fresh episode of GTF, Gabriel Talks Football. My name is Aldo Gandia, and before we get started, I want to alert everybody to our Patreon page. Uh, that's where Danny Shimon and, of course, the great Greg Gabriel are putting together scouting reports on some of the top prospects in the National Football League and also some prospects you may not have heard of. I'm going to show a, a little sample of one video that was recently done by Greg where he's talking about the draft profile for tight ends. Take a look at this. You get a guy that's 6'2 to 6'4, 300 310 pounds, who runs pretty good, can get out into space, adjust on the moves, got athleticism and quickness, then that's the type of guy you're looking for from a pro-style standpoint. Now, there are some guys that are a little bit smaller that are great centers. And, you know, one, you look at uh, Kelsey uh, for Philadelphia. He's 285 to 290. He's 36 years old. The guy He's one of the best centers of the game and still – extremely athletic. Olin played at 285 to 290 most of his career with the Bears. Another guy, very, very strong, knows how to use his hands, very explosive, but also very, very smart. So you can get away with a little guy. You, the arm length isn't as important at the center position and even the guards as, as it is with tackles because the leverage, it, it's a, you're a different game. You're not playing outside like the tackles are where you need that length. So you can get a – where you want tackles to have at least 33-inch arms, you can get away with 32 to 32 and a quarter. Olin at 31 and a half. So – and there's going to be a guy we're going to do here that that surprised me at the Senior Bowl because his arms were 31 and something, like 31 and a half, 31 and a quarter, and I was shocked because he's a big guy. Um, but there's going to be teams that are – when you get down that low, especially for a, uh, your arm length is that short, especially for a shorter guy, um, you're going to, you know, you might downgrade him a little bit because you're going to really watch the tape closely then to see if he, in, in fact, loses leverage because of his uh, short length. That obviously was his profile on centers, not tight ends, as I introduced it. So my apologies for that. I was looking at the tight ends one, and, and I really love that one because he talks about the Y position and the U position or whatever name teams attached to it. That's also another great profile that you can find on our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Barroom Draft. Let me put it up on the screen for you because I know a lot of you guys have bad memories. <laughs> It'll be up on the screen throughout the show. Uh, but first and foremost, let us get to the man of the hour, the man of the day, the man of the week, the man of the month, Greg Gabriel. How are you, my friend? How much do I owe you for that? <laughs> I owe you. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> how how uh, was your weekend? Not bad. You know, I had to take the dog to the vet on, on Saturday, so he was pissed at me. Oh, gosh. Anything wrong, or is he okay? No, he's okay. He had a little, you know, we thought he might have had an eye infection, and it turned out it was just a little inflammation. There was no infection. But, you know, this dog was a rescue dog, mm -hmm. and he's not little. He's 100 pounds. So 
but he does not, when I take him in the car, he associates going to in the car to going somewhere bad. It's okay. not like we go, you know, we're not, we're not going in the car to go to the ice cream store. <laughs> yeah. Right. You're going to take me to get groomed. You're taking me to the vet, you know, something like that. So it's like, I, I pick up his leash. I go, Bennett, come on, let's go. And, and he looks and he sees it. He goes, no, no, I don't think so. And he goes hiding under the table, you know, cause he, he just figures it out. And then you get, and, and he won't even, when I come into the garage, uh-huh. you know, pull the car in the garage, he will not come out to greet me. Does my wife all the time. Won't come out to greet me because I'm the asshole that always has to take him in the car for the bad stuff. My wife won't do it. So she's, you know, she's the good guy. <laughs> That's hilarious. Bennett is probably, uh, how much does Bennett weigh about? I'm uh, guessing he weighed at even 100 on Saturday. Wow. Wow, I haven't had a dog. I don't think I've ever had a dog that big. Um, so well, we had we had a yellow lab for fourteen years, and he was about eighty five, and I thought he was a, a big dog. Uh-huh. Uh, this dog might not be quite as tall as the lab was. I mean, mm-hmm. an inch difference, but he's just so thick. He's got um, massive in him. Mm-hmm. Uh, what the hell was the movie Tom Hanks was in? Turner and Hooch. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He, his body, not his head. His body is like hooch. Mm-hmm. Just big, massive, muscular body. And then he's got a head like a lab or a, something <laughs> like that, you know. And, and, and he's, you know, he's white, yellow. Uh-huh. So you don't know he's massive. I had the DNA done. And, and he's. Oh, cool. Yeah, he's, he's got a lot of massive in him. He's a great, great dog. I got a chance to meet him. Um, and uh, let's talk about some other great stuff that happened this weekend. You got into a Twitter controversy with someone that kind of inspired you for the topic of today. Scheme fits when drafting players, when acquiring players. There's a lot of people out there who will look at, like, for instance, uh, Dewan Jones. This guy right here, I'm going to put up his image on the screen. Dewan Jones is a guy that a lot of people on Twitter are saying, we really need to draft this guy. He's massive. He'd be a great right tackle. But there's a problem for him, isn't isn't it, Greg? This guy's yeah, not a scheme fit. He can't play in space. He's not athletic enough. The scheme and, – and, and contrary to what a lot of people want to think, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there's this one person – who, you know, it's like, well, if a coach can't fit a guy into a scheme, the coach is bad. That's the biggest bunch of bullshit I've ever heard in my life. The whole National Football League revolves around scheme and scheme fit. Every team in the league, 32 teams, has a profile for every position. They draft players that fit their scheme. So they bring it up, well, what about Greg Olson? Greg Olson had nothing to do with scheme fit and everything to do with a coach being stubborn about the use of a player mm-hmm. because Greg Olson wasn't a good blocker. So because he wasn't a good blocker, he wasn't going to play in my scheme. And But it wasn't fit because there's other coaches who have coached that scheme that used a tight end extensively. In fact, Lovey's first year here, Terry Shea was the offensive coordinator. Terry Shea learned that offense from Mike Martz. 
Mm -hmm. And we used the tight end a lot. We had a guy named Desmond Clark at the time, if you recall. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Pretty damn good tight end in his day. And with Greg Olson, it was strictly a stubborn coach who refused to come out of the dinosaur era. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and saw the, uh, so, you know, people can say what they want, but everything, you have different kind of, and, and, and a lot of it, let me back up a little bit. A lot of it, when we talk schemes, it has to do with alignment on both sides of the ball. You can play with the, with the skill people a little bit because mm -hmm. of their talent level. You know, but you, with alignment, in order for the thing to work, you got to have the linemen that fit within the scheme. And when you're going to play an outside zone scheme, those suckers, especially the tackles, better be able to run. They better be agile enough to adjust on the move and be able to hit a moving target in space with a productive block. Okay, well... Why do you think they didn't go after Orlando Brown in free agency? Because he can't do that. It has nothing to do with Orlando Brown's talent right. and his value. He cannot do that within that scheme. And he's never been able to do it. He's played in a, an entirely different kind of blocking scheme his entire career. Mm -hmm. And he's very good in it. But, you know, he's going to play for the teams that do what he can do best, not try to put, and I hate the, you know, the square peg round hole thing, but really that's the best way to describe it. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a great way to, to describe it. And we've talked uh, uh, a couple of times before on GTF about the great quote from Bill Parcells about acquiring exceptions. I've, uh, used, I've used that, I think, five times in the last few weeks. <laughs> it's and, and it is. I mean, Bill said, you start drafting or signing exceptions, you're going to have a team full of exceptions and lose. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. Yep. You, know, you don't put exceptions on your football team. Right. And, and so if you draft a guy like Dewan Jones, you now – what you're asking the four other guys on the offensive line is greatly impacted by the fact that you've got an exception over at the right tackle. You got to change your whole running game. The whole, the whole thing, yeah. Your mm -hmm. whole, your whole running scheme has to change because one guy can't do it. Yep, exactly, exactly. And uh, there's probably in the history of the draft, uh, there's there aren't many players who are worthy of having a whole scheme fit because you've, you're acquiring this one special player. Like, for instance, uh, Lawrence Taylor is, is a guy who is – if he's available in the draft, yeah, okay, I, I might consider changing some of my defense to get this guy free and rush the quarterback. You can play in anything. Yeah, that's true. Okay. <laughs> there are a lot of players that can do that. They yeah. can play anything. But don't mm -hmm. forget, I, I, I'm emphasizing the fact that a lot of this has to do with the line, both mm -hmm. lines. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you can work your way around other areas. Mm -hmm. You know, like just the game changes a little bit. Let's take linebackers, for example. You know, it used to be that – we wanted big linebackers and speed wasn't that important. You know, you'd want a, you know, Mike linebacker and, and the bears just signed a Mike linebacker that's huge, but he also runs a four five Oh, you know, like Brian Erlacher did. But for the most part, 
If you look at the linebackers that are getting drafted now, they're smaller and they're faster. Why? Because most of the time defenses are in a sub package mm-hmm. and those guys on the field got to know how to cover. And you can't have, unless he's an, uh, you know, an exceptional athlete, um, like the bears just signed, you can't get that with a big 250, most 250 pound guys. You got to get it with a, a, a 220, 230. Roquan Smith was 227 pounds when he got drafted. Wow. But wow. he ran a four, five, one. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and you know, the, the guy down in uh, Leonard down in, in the Colts with the Colts, another guy, shit, he was 215 when he came out of college, but he could run like a deer, <laughs> but he, but he can cover, you know, so it, it, it's sometimes your profiles change because the game has changed, but you're not going to change the overall philosophy of your scheme. Eberflus hired Luke Ketze. He brought in a couple guys to interview for the uh, offensive coordinator position. Mm-hmm. But he came in that w- w- when he interviewed for the head coaching job, he stated mm-hmm. that I want a guy that knows, you know, basically, well, for lack of a better term, the Green Bay scheme. But it's really Green Bay, San Francisco, Los Angeles Rams. You know, it, it, it's Shanahan's scheme. And he said, because he has found that scheme to be the most difficult scheme for him as a defensive coordinator to defend. So that's what he wants his offense running. But he also brought in a good friend of mine, interviewed him, Pep Hamilton. Pep's got a real good offense. And he's an excellent coach. But it's not similar to what Getsy does. And Mm -hmm. he, you know, Flus specifically wanted a guy that was proficient with that scheme. So with that scheme means you have to draft certain players that can play within that scheme. And if some clowns out there don't want to agree with it and don't want to get up with the times and figure out, Oh, that's how it works. Hey, I feel sorry for you. You know, (laughs) Don't bury your head in the fucking toilet. That's hilarious. Got some great questions from the chat regarding this topic of scheme fits. Uh, Let me start with Nathan Campbell. Nathan asked, due to scheme fit, could you see AA from Northwestern being drafted at number nine? And that is, of course, Adetamiwa Adabore from Northwestern, a highly touted prospect who, in many draft boards, he was a second rounder, maybe even third rounder. But uh, in some boards now, you know, and these these are not for football teams, but from uh, draft publications and so forth, he's been in some uh, first round mocks. What do you think about Double A from Northwestern and his scheme? Well, a nine is is he doesn't have enough production, and yes. and and he is a projection. Could he go in the first round? Yeah, he could. Um, Willie, I don't know. I, you know, I think you know. I use this proverbial twenty to forty type. I think that's where he falls. In that you get a lot of players that have about the same value and it's going to be what teams prefer. So if he went 21st, it wouldn't shock me. If he went 39th, it wouldn't shock me because they're all going to be literally about the same value. Yep, I get you. Um, 
and you're absolutely right. There was a little bit of a breakup when you were speaking there, but the, the one thing that concerns me about Double A is that lack of production, as you mentioned, um, and 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 that's probably because Northwestern played him out of position at the defensive end position, as opposed to the to, to the middle. So there has to be a lot of projection with this guy. Now, given his size and uh, what he can do, do you think that there's going to be several teams in the NFL who are not going to have him on the board, at least for the first two rounds? Uh, yeah, yeah, there's going to be some three, four teams that play a five-tech and mm -hmm. want a bigger guy, even though he's pretty damn strong now. I mean, he did 28 reps, I think. Uh, he's real quick. He played basically a five or a wide five at, at, at Northwestern, but he's still six, one and a half, six, mm -hmm. one and three quarters. He's got long arms. He's got over 34 inch arms. Um, you know, the comp, and I'm not saying is as good as, but I'm saying the comp, the body type, the speed, the athleticism that actually got more speed is Aaron Donald. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's the same with, uh, Kalijah Cansey from Pitt. Right. The problem with, with Cansey that teams will have to overcome is his arm length. He's got alligator arms. That taken away from his film. His film is outstanding against college players. But his arms are 30 and 5 eighths inches. His mm -hmm. arms are a full two inches shorter than Aaron Donald's. Tommy Harris had 32 and a half inch arms. Aaron Donald's got 32 and a half inch arms. That's fine for being an interior defensive lineman. You don't have to have 35 inch arms or whatever. Mm -hmm. But now what you get down to 30 and five ace, that's a different story. And so it's going to be really a decision that a combination of your coaches and uh, your personnel staff <clears throat> got to sign off on the guy. Now, right. you know, it's interesting. Well, now, not Clancy, but with 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 uh, double A, being that he's from Northwestern, they can bring him into Alice Hall 10 times if they want to. And mm -hmm. it doesn't count against the 30 visits because he's local. Mm -hmm. You know, and the same with Skaronsky. Uh The same with the wide receiver from uh, uh, Michigan State. I mean, these guys are all local kids. Uh, the wide receiver, the, the slot receiver, uh, Charlie Jones from Purdue. He's from Deerfield. These guys, if the Bears want to bring them in 10 times, they can. <laughs> and the other schools that, you know, each, they, they did this, I think it was the year Trubisky came out. Might have been the year before. They changed the rules a little bit. Used to be you could only bring in local guys, designated local guys, Otherwise, they would, and you couldn't work them out unless they were specifically local guys. Local guys counted as, as like Northwestern also. Mm -hmm. But then they changed the rule, got a little more liberal with it, and they gave each team some designated local schools. Okay, so the Bears have Northwestern, obviously, because they're right here. They got mm -hmm. Illinois. Ordinary, ordinarily, under the old rules, Illinois, it's a three-hour drive. They're not going to be within that limit to be called local. Northern Illinois is, uh, you know, hour and a half out, a little closer to where from where you live. But they're right. going to, um, they wouldn't be in it. Notre Dame is a local school for the Bears, so you can bring those guys in as much as you want. 
And, and um, you know, like the Colts have uh, Purdue, Ball State, the University of Indiana. I don't know. I don't know who their other local school is. But it, it's um, every team in the league has got a series of, of, of local schools that they can bring in and they count as local people. So, you know, they don't count against your 30 man limit for visits. You can work them out whenever you want. The only thing you can't do is in the last week leading up to the draft, you can't bring anybody in. Mm-hmm. You can go work them out of their place, but you can't bring them into your place. Yeah. Uh, Greg, you sort of answered this question from Jeremy uh, in that response, but I, I'd like to dig further. He, he asked, does any athletic defensive lineman fit RD? And so you basically answered that when you were talking about physical traits, like you want a defensive end with longer arms. Uh, so he would not be a, a, a fit. Like, Well, for instance, let's talk about Kalijah Kansi. Uh, the three-tech defensive lineman who I think is an interesting prospect. His speed, his speed and quickness would be an ideal fit for this defense, but are his arms too short for the Bears to consider? Well, that I, I said that's going to get down to a coaching and personnel department. Yeah. Thing. You know, you, you do a um, – it's me. If I, if I didn't go to the pro day, I'm doing a private workout. If you know you sent the defensive line coach who could spend some time with them in a private workout, that'll work too. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I've had this cough going on for a couple of days. <coughs> you need a little rum and tea. <laughs> I don't have any rum here, so I better make a run to the liquor store. Make a run to the liquor store. For um, I got bourbon though. <laughs> there you go. That's second place right there. <laughs> so I, I, that's the coach's call. You know, yeah. coach, I'd say, you know what? He's not perfect, but I can mm. live with him. Yeah, indeed. Okay. Um, let's see. We've got uh, Lee Bruin asking the question. So for scheme fit, would uh, Greg say who are the top five fits for offensive and defensive linemen and any sleepers. I don't have my, I, I don't have my list right in front of me, but I can tell you right off the bat, linemen that fit Parrish, Johnson fits. Uh, Anton Harrison. Rod, Anton Harrison, Broderick Jones, um, Matthew Bergeron from Syracuse. All those guys fit, are really good fits. Mm-hmm. The guy that I'm – up and down on is Wright from Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Wright has straight line speed, 501, 502, something like that. But he doesn't, when he plays on tape, mm-hmm. he doesn't look very agile. And he's a little bit straight-legged. And so, you know, I, I, I would, it's me, I'm sending my O-line coach out to work him out. And let him get firsthand feel, and, and let him go thumbs up or thumbs down. We used to do that when when Harry was here, and we sent Harry out to work out a lot of offensive linemen. And not only would would Harry Harry was a great. There's a lot of coaches that aren't good evaluators, and there's some that are outstanding. And the difference is, do they want to do it? There's some coaches that they want to coach. Mm-hmm. You know, but they mm-hmm. let, let the scout scout now coach. 
But there's other guys that get really into it. They work hard at it. They put a lot of time in it. John Hoke was the new uh, corners coach for the Bears. He's an excellent evaluator. Mm-hmm. Harry was an excellent evaluator. But Harry would go out and he'd, you know, he'd spend four or five hours with a guy. And he'd get him on the board. He'd work him out, take him out to lunch, all that. He'd get to know the kid. And he'd come back, you know, and he might say, yeah, I, I like the player. I, I don't want him on our team, though. Why not? I don't think he's going to fit in the room. Mm-hmm. You know, he'll, he'll get, you know, and at that time, the room was, you know, John Tate, Olin, Roberto Garza, uh, Reuben Brown, Fred Miller, he had some strong personalities in there, you know, and so he wanted guys that were going to fit within those personalities in his room. And if he thought that they, they weren't going to be fits personality wise, he'd just say, Hey, you know, I don't want them. And the one thing I've learned in this league is you can never shove a player down a coach's throat. The coach will find a way for that guy to fail. Yep. You know, so you got to have the coach on board. He's got to be enthused about coaching this guy. Yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad that you've confirmed my suspicions about that because in my decades of watching football, I always had the sense that certain coaches were like, I don't really want this player on my team. I'm not going to help him succeed. Uh, we may have seen that with Matt Nagy and Mitchell Trubisky. He tried at first, but well, when he couldn't adapt to Nagy's offensive scheme, he really gave up on him. Um, some more great questions from the chat. Uh, let's see, Greg, at what point in the scouting process does the scout team say he's not a fit? Do they just ignore that person now, or do you still do due diligence on that player? We've talked about this briefly, and I think it's a great question to go over again. We eliminate a lot of guys in our December meetings. Mm, that early who well. are, Yeah, that, that the December meetings would last a week. And you, you wouldn't spend more than a couple minutes on every player. And it's the area scout that does most of the talking because he knows the player the best. And if he deems the player to not be a fit or a character risk or whatever, we'd slap a grade on him and put him to sleep. Mm-hmm. You know, give him a shot in the arm and he's die somewhere. But we, we do, we have a way of, of, of bringing them back to life. Mm-hmm. There is reincarnation. And that is, if somebody <laughs> like Jerry or myself, mm-hmm. you know, see the guy in an all-star game and go, wait a minute, they're wrong. You know, we got to take another look. And, we, and there's been players that we've done that with. You know, so it, it's not an absolute Mm-hmm. But that's how you do it. But in most cases, when you get now, you've mm-hmm. already eliminated. Now you're, you're, you know, you're getting into final meetings, and we'll start talking about that in a minute. But yeah, now that you don't even have them on the board, mm-hmm. you know, you have you have different boards. You have one board that's off to the side that's strictly best to worst by position, and everybody's in there. You know, you might have a thousand names on that board, but that doesn't mean you're going to draft them. That's just a list of names because. The you know the the Houston Texans or the Dallas Cowboys or somebody may draft 
one of those guys. Because mm -hmm. remember this, no two boards are alike. And, and players that are fits for one team aren't, aren't going to be fits for another team and vice versa. Right. And, and so, you know, you, you just go like uh, the one guy. Like I cannot see – I've seen the – how do you say the guy's name? Akaya, Akaye uh, from Baylor, the big defensive tackle. Yeah. He's uh, about 360 pounds. Mm -hmm. right. Okay. Well, he, he, you know, he shows some quickness on tape. He is not going to be a Chicago Bear. I, you know, I, I'd like fall over de dead if if the Bears take it. He is so far away from being a scheme fit for this defense because he just doesn't have. He's a three-four guy, mm -hmm. and you put him in a three-four defense, and he's going to be pretty damn good. But he can't play in a one-gap scheme like the Bears play here and be a penetrator and be a disruptor and be an interior pass rusher. It's mm -hmm. not his game. Yeah. Siaki Ika, the big guy from Baylor. This guy is huge indeed. 358 pounds is high. And he's the, a good player. I'm not yeah. taking anything away. But you won't have – the point I'm making is that when you get to draft day, his name's not going to be on the board. Right, right. Of, he's on the sideboard. Mm-hmm. Because somebody's going to draft him. Somebody may take him in the second or third round. But he's not going to be on your board. Let's get into that because you're, a lot of teams are starting their meetings this week. The ones that don't start this week will start next week. Regardless, even if you start this week, they'll probably shut down after Thursday, give everybody a long Easter holiday weekend, mm -hmm. uh, and then resume next Monday or Tuesday. Now, when I was with New York, it was totally different. And that it, the, the way we did it then is outdated now. We would put our board together best to worst. We went down into the, the, the basement of Giant Stadium and there was nobody around. And, you know, we'd do the number one guy. Then we do the number two guy. And then, you know, you get to the number three guy. And then you start, I go, who would you rather have? This guy or the guy we just did before? And you do that, we call it climbing the ladder. And we do that, you get through, you know, at that time there was, when I started there, there was 28 teams. So your mm -hmm. first round had 28 players. Your second round had 28 players. Your third round did. And there was no compensatory picks then either. So you had, there was 12 rounds back then too. So you had 12 rounds of 28. And okay. we do it one at a time. And it, you know, took a few weeks to get the thing done. And it was, you know, got kind of monotonous. And, you know, when I came here and everybody's doing it this way, and I can't say everybody, but most are, you, you're doing it by position. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and you're, you're ranking your position. Let's say you start off with defensive ends mm -hmm. and you rank your defensive ends. And then you got, you got groupings of guys. These are guys we'd consider as first round picks. These are guys we'd consider as second round picks. Mm -hmm. We used to have a letter grade on them that that determined the draft value as far as, you know, if it was an A player, he'd be a guy you could take in the first or second round. Then he'd have a number next to it. Mm -hmm. And but and and you can change the grades a little bit in these last meetings because now, you know, up until these meetings, when you had meetings in February, you had meetings in, in December, there's no coaches involved. Coaches mm -hmm. are coaching them. They're not they haven't been involved in the scouting process. 
valuation process. But now you get into these meetings and the coaches have been involved. They've been involved, say, since the first of February, maybe the last, you know, the last all-star game, the week of the, the senior bowl, the East West game. And they're not doing all the players at their group. They might be doing 15, 20 players or whatever. And at their position group, but they have an opinion. The coordinator has an opinion. The uh, head coach has an opinion. So you put that all together. And, and, and generally speaking, you know, a grade, a final grade isn't going to be as high as the best grade. It's not going to be as low as the worst grade. It's going to be somewhere in the middle. But it's mm-hmm. going to be a grade that everybody in the room agrees with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is the right spot for him. But you do that, you put that together best to worst at, you know, by position. But what we used to do, we were only talking about guys we liked. So if he wasn't a fit, we weren't even talking about him. Mm. We talked about him in February. We talked about him in December. We're not talking about him now because we're not drafting him. Why waste your time talking about a guy? Time's too important. Yep. So, and then you'd set the board that way. Mm. Now you've got, you know, so it's a, you got your defensive ends here. Then you got your defensive tackles here. Uh, your inside linebackers, outside linebackers, corners and safeties. But, and they're, they're then put across at levels by, by grade and typing. So you could have, you know, depending on your numbering system, let's say you've got four different players with a, you know, you're, you're high in the first round, you got, and I'm just making up stuff here. Four different players with a 7-2 grade on or whatever, mm-hmm. their grade says they're equal, okay? But you've already, in the course of these meetings, you've had discussions on prioritizing. I'd rather have <coughs> this guy over this guy. And again, there has to be agreement. Now, the GM always has final say, so he can pull rank and say, I want this guy. End of discussion. You know, he, he's getting paid the big bucks and, and he has the final say. And it's basically he's the one being held accountable on, on the picks. Um, but, it, it you know, it's, it's a fascinating, it's a fun process and it's a fascinating process. It is. You know, and, and, and it, you know, goes on for days. Mm-hmm. And like I say, uh, one at a time, when you get done with that, then you start getting into strategy. Okay, how are we going to handle this thing? Now, the GM's always thinking that. And when he's, he might bring in his, his hierarchy, you know, like, a, like polls and maybe bring in, you know, Ian and, and maybe their scouting director or whatever. And they talk privately, but not within the group about how they want to strategize. But when you talk within the group then, you're letting them know how you think, but you're, tr- again, trying to get everybody on the same page. This mm-hmm. is what we think we want to do in the first round. And remember what I've, I've said before. You always got to be prepared for the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to be prepared. To, okay, we're, we're, we're sitting <clears throat> at nine. And we thought at nine that 
and again, I'll just make this up. We thought we'd have a chance at Paris Johnson and Bro or Broderick Jones. One of those two are going to be there. So we're going to be happy. We're going to get a tackle. Okay. And now one goes off at six. The other one goes off at eight. And it comes to nine and you're holding your putt. So, <laughs> you know, you've got to have a plan for that. You've got to be prepared and you have to discuss it before you get into the draft. Mm -hmm. It's what you, you know, it's in those final days leading up to the draft, that's what you discuss. And so, you know, the thinking that is, okay, look, guys we want aren't there, so we're going to trade down. But you don't make that decision Thursday night with 12 minutes on the clock. Mm -hmm. You've made that decision days before. Mm -hmm. And you're going to call teams in the days, you, usually the call, I used to be the guy making the calls. I'd make them, you know, it used to be the, for a while that before they went to Thursday, Friday, Saturday, it used to be Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. And uh, when I started in this league now, it was a draft was on Tuesday. It started at seven o'clock in the morning and we'd end about four o'clock in the morning the next day. And mm -hmm. he had 12 rounds. It was crazy. But I, with the draft on Saturday, I'd start making calls on Wednesday. And we already had, we had a line drawn. <clears throat> okay, if we trade down as far as we want to go is X amount. You know, let's say, we'll just use this year as an example. Let's say it, they're at nine. Say, okay, look, we'll go down to 15. Mm -hmm. Or we'll go down to 16, but I don't want to go further than that. So then I'd call 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. And I just say, real short and sweet conversation. You don't get into specifics. Hey, you know, let's say one was Pittsburgh and it's Kevin Colbert at the time. Kevin, there's a couple guys we like. They may not be there. If they're not there, we may be willing to move. Just want to let you know in case you're thinking about moving up. And you go, okay, that's great to know. Thanks. Bye. That's the discussion. Hmm. Okay. And then you get into draft night. And because you've let teams know, mm -hmm. now you get to six. Mm -hmm. You're at nine. You get to six. Now your phone's starting to ring. You guys mm -hmm. still want to move? Well, we want to come up. And I guarantee you, you'll get. You know, three, four, five calls. Okay. You might even get one from 22 or 23 or something mm -hmm. that's way back. Mm -hmm. And they're going to give you a huge package. But if you let it out that you're willing to move, you will get calls. Mm -hmm. And uh, somebody just posted Nomad. It was said if Anthony Richardson gets drafted first, as there be rumors to that, some really interesting things may trigger in the Bears' favor. That would be a fascinating. Uh, I, I, don't, I tell you what, I don't see because somebody, some people hit me with this over the weekend. Uh -huh. What if there's a quarterback there at nine? I don't think there's any way. Could I be wrong? Yeah, but I don't think there's any way in hell there's going to be a quarterback available at nine. Those four are coming off the board long before the bears are even thinking about making there. There's, they're still going to be, you know, eating their potato chips and popcorn and having the sandwich and enjoying the first few picks of the draft. Chris Watts asks, uh, how civil 
our teams with each other on draft day. Do you get people calling up and say, what the fuck are you doing? I thought you were going to. And by the way, that reminds me of the Ravens bears uh, controversy. Somebody posted it up in the chat uh, back in 2011. Uh, Jerry Angelo admitted that he made a mistake about uh, a potential trade or something like that. Do you recall that? Yeah. I, I you know, that was the year after I was gone. Um, okay. Yeah. They, um, they made a tentative deal with mm. with Baltimore and backed out, mm. and Baltimore was pissed. <laughs> they wanted a uh, compensatory pick. Yeah, well, from- they weren't going to get that. I mean, because <laughs> you know what, the trade's got to go down. But they, 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 the, the, a deal's not a deal until it's called in. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. it was never called in. Right. But they had committed to it, and then. And, and you know what? They should have traded it because I don't know who the hell Baltimore wanted, but they took Karimi and Karimi mm. ended up having bad knees. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, whether they knew about it before, I don't know. Usually you do. For most most cases, you know. But in this particular case, there, there were some issues I think they didn't know about. But I'm not 100% sure I wasn't there then. <laughs> um, we but, are- oh, wait a minute. To go back to the one question. Sure. Are you civil? Of course you're civil. You know, you, you, you're spending time, especially like the scouts, and, and you read some of the stuff, um, like there's a, a really nice article in The Athletic today about the, you know, how the, the trade went down uh, between Carolina and, and the Bears for oh, the number God. one pick. These guys are all friends. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's guys there's scores of guys around the league that are friends of mine have been friends of mine for years and years and years mm-hmm. you know yeah you could be an asshole with them of course not right and they, they yeah. could be future employers or future uh right no, you, you, you always treat people with the utmost respect mm-hmm. and um you know if you can't make a deal you can't make a deal mm-hmm. but you're I, you know and and I remember the year we we traded down you know it was 2006 and we traded out of the first round because that was the year we took Devin, and that was our plan going in we had like our pick was like 28 or something like that and Mm -hmm. we knew we weren't gonna use that pick we didn't like what we were going to be looking at to begin with uh you know when we were you know looking at the board and figuring out who was going to go where you know, in the meetings leading up. So we figured that we wanted to trade out, which we did. We had six teams calling us, one of which was the Colts and Bill Polian was there. And Bill got a little pissed because he wanted to make the deal. And he's like, well, what do I got to do to get the deal? I got, I got some better deals. What is it? I'll match it. You know, and it's like, <laughs> sorry, we, we're we doing it with Buffalo. But he wanted, you know, he, he, he got a little pissy, but that's his personality. So you knew that, you know, some people are like that. Yeah. Uh, let me uh, let's entertain this question from Free Palestine. Uh, I think he's referring to Cedric Benson here. Are the rumors true that Cedric's agent told the Bears staff not to draft them because of salary? No. Yeah, I never heard that before. No, no truth to that at all. Was Eugene Parker was his agent, and Some, somebody Eugene, you know quite well, right? Yeah, Eugene was one of my close friends in the world, and his son is a good friend. Mm-hmm. And there was never any truth to that at all. Now, Eugene always was a hard guy. I got to 
say this right. Eugene always had a dollar figure in his mind, what a guy was worth. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't budging off of that. Mm. And so you had to work. And, and you know what? Cliff and Eugene got, were good friends. Mm -hmm. They got along very well. But you knew going in that the negotiation wasn't going to be easy <laughs> and that it was going to it was going to take time. It's just, you know, it's 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 a nature of business. Now, he had Devin. And with Devin, even when we when we did the um, <clears throat> extension with Devin, it was easy. You know, because we we're both on the same page with the number. Mm -hmm. And back then they didn't lie like they have now you know, with the, with the first round. Um, all right, let's tackle some more questions. This one just came in and, uh, it's somewhat breaking news because I had not seen this before. Uh, it, it appears that Carter's agent who is Drew Rosenhaus. I'm sorry. Are you there? Okay. Carter's agent, uh, Drew Rosenhaus, uh, says that uh, Carter will not be visiting teams that are outside the top 10. Uh, what do you think about that move by Drew Rosenhaus? I think he's full of shit. And I know Drew, and I, I yeah. love him. He's a very good agent. Yeah. But what he says publicly and what he does are two different things. That's a mm -hmm. That is saying my guy's going in the top ten. So why do I need to? Right. You know, he, he's trying to um, use his knowledge, so to speak, even if some of it's fake knowledge. Hey, I've, I've got teams have told me that if he's there, they're taking him. So if you're, mm -hmm. if you're sitting below 10, forget about it. You're not going to get him. Uh, I think as you get, you know, you can bring guys in until the week before the draft is on Thursday, the 27th, the previous Wednesday is the last day. What's that? The 19th. I don't have a, a calendar in front of me. Uh, that's the last day you can bring guys in. Now you can yeah. go visit them down. You can you you can go down to Athens, Georgia, and visit them there. Mm -hmm. you, you can do that day before the draft if you want, but you can't bring them into your facility. Um, go ahead. I was just going to say, it seems like you know there there could be teams that are considering trading into the top 10, 10 for Jalen Carter, but if could he's they? refused to meet with them, then that might not happen. Well, no, I, Drew's been around a long time, and he, he's he's a good agent. He's a very good agent, one of the best, no doubt. And and, and he knows how to play the game. Mm -hmm. And if. A team sitting at 14 has an idea of, and I don't know who's at 14. I don't have the, the list in front of me, but you know, if a team at 14 is considering that, they're going to call them up. Hey, Drew, I might trade up to get Uh huh. Okay. You know, they're going to tell. Like, any team that wants to talk to Jalen Carter is going to talk to him. Whether mm -hmm. they bring him in for a visit or they go down to see him in, in Athens, Georgia, they're going to mm -hmm. talk to him. By the way, it's the Patriots who are drafting 14. I don't okay. see them moving up for uh, Jalen Carter, but you never know. Um, all right. Uh, a couple of um, several really good questions here. Let's see if we can fit them in. Um, any chance you guys are going to be talking about Colby Wooden, the defensive tackle from Auburn? Uh, Jimmy Tony thinks that he could be a really good three tech. And so I called up. Uh, our page here from NFL.com on Kobe. I frankly have not seen anything about him. Uh, have you, Greg? 
You know, I, I had to do them for that agency that I do some work for. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, and I'll go back and do some more. Mm-hmm. He's really more of an outside guy. I, I don't see him having the, the bulk and the strength. The other guy is pretty damn good. The other defensive end. Mm-hmm. I, I think this guy's kind of average. Okay. Uh, I, I don't think he's a real fit for this scheme. You know, so, um, but because somebody wants to know for sure, uh, let me write the name down. Yeah. It's, and I'll uh, lose some more stuff. <laughs> Colby uh, Wooden. Yeah. From, from Auburn. All right. Uh, Nomad wants to know how busy does Greg think the after draft free agent market will be? I got to believe it's going to be super busy. Huh? Well, it's always busy, but it, it, you don't wait until after the draft. You're you're starting making calls. Well, let me go back. In our 30 visits, at least 10 of them were prospective UDFAs. Mm-hmm. Guy, and one reason being is we knew there was an outside chance we could draft them, and we wanted to get the medical. But the other reason was we wanted to recruit them. Mm. And by bringing them in, they got to meet not only with myself and with Jerry, but they got to meet with Lovey. They got to meet with the coordinator on their side of the ball and the guy and their position coach. The guy is going to be coaching them. We'd all recruit the hell out of the kid and say, this is the plan. Hey, look it, Tommy, I'm sorry. We're not going to draft you. I know you, you don't want to hear that, and it's probably a bummer to you, but I'm just being honest with you. We don't have a draftable grade with you on you, but we want you on our football team. And we want you as as an undrafted free agent. And then you start selling them. And you're going to get a lot of those guys because you, 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 you built a relationship and then you build or you, you start selling the agent because the, the agent, a lot of times the agent's just looking at the, the signing bonus. Right, because he's getting a percentage of that, but the kid's got to sign off on it, and so you got to sell the kid too. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a combination, but so we'd do it. We'd start bringing in the kids. It would be right around this time of the year, you know, three and a half weeks, two and a half to three and a half weeks before the draft. Would we'd bring them in, bring them all in the same day, and we'd have a dinner for them and everything, and. Then, now when you're getting up to the days before the draft, so the draft is on Thursday, so starting, say, Monday, you're calling them. You call them Tuesday. You call them Wednesday. Tommy, I'm thinking about you. I love you, man. You know, and we want you on the team. I hope somebody drafts you. I really do. But if if it happens that it, it doesn't work out, we want you on the Bears. And you just sell them. And then you get to Saturday, and it's in the sixth round. Mm-hmm. Tommy's not drafted yet. Tommy, we still love you, man. You know, and and, and we watch you. And now you're calling his agent. And I, uh, you know, in a public forum, I probably shouldn't say this. But <laughs> oh, go ahead. <laughs> you're not supposed to make deals until after the draft ends. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. So, 
you're you're uh, getting you're you're getting the parameters of deals done. Hey, you rip it up if the guy if the guy gets drafted. Right, right. <laughs> you know uh, that is hilarious. <laughs> Love the way that right. operates. No problem. Yeah, so it's it's that's a fun process too. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking. The majority of UDFAs are signed within two hours of the draft. Mm-hmm. You might not hear that, you know, and, and hear all the names, but within two hours. I mean, you'll have guys sign. Let, let's say the draft ends at 2.30. By 3, you're going to have eight or nine done. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to ask you about Tuli Tulo Poloto. I know you love his motor. Uh, I know uh, you like him. Where do you see him playing? That question was submitted by Nathan Campbell. What do you think about Tuli Tulopoloto? I I still think he's a three. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was surprised by his weight. What I'd want to find out, which I don't know because I never made a school call. Okay, he weighed 66, 266 at the combine. I think he was 69 at the USC Pro Day. Um, he was listed in the media guide for USC at, at 290. Mm-hmm. Now, if, if I'm an area scout, and, and you always get this stuff during the year when you make school calls, is I'm finding out what he played at during the year. Mm-hmm. You know, did he, in fact, drop 20 pounds so he could run a step faster at the combine? Okay, and, and if he legitimately weighed... 285 plus during the season for USC. He's a three. First of all, his arms are too short to be an end. Right. He, you know, he's got what do you have? 32 and a quarter inch arms. Right. That that discounts him from being an end for most teams. Mm-hmm. Play a five technique. He could be a five and a three man front. Uh, but for the Bears, he'd be a, a be a three if, in fact, they feel that, that number one, he he played at a heavier weight. Number two, we can carry that weight without being fat. Mm-hmm. You know, have good lean weight. Right. Good stuff. Uh, let's get back to the questions here. Um, Michael, this one's going to get you mad, Greg. <laughs> Michael Hallatak, my good buddy. With the success of Braxton Jones, do you think Poles grabs JS? No. <laughs> it ain't happening. Why do people keep bringing that up? I mean, you know. You've got in this draft alone, <laughs> you've got a second round pick mm-hmm. in Chase Claypool, and you've got DJ Moore, mm-hmm. who is really a, a, another one in this draft on the wide receiver position. And you've got Mooney. Mm-hmm. So when's JSN getting on the field? <laughs> Maybe a year two. <laughs> no, I mean, he's, he's going to be your number four. Yeah, I hear and, you. And, and, you know, Ryan Poles told me in our conversation mm-hmm. at, at the East West, and he said, hey, if I had to do that trade all over again, it would take me about three seconds to decide. Mm-hmm. They didn't do it for last year. They did it for this year. Yeah. They knew that it was going to take time. The offense is hard to learn. Mm-hmm. And, and let's talk about JSN a little bit. Okay. He didn't exactly, you know, he had a real good three cone at the 
combine. He ran four five two. And don't anybody try to tell me no. They said four four eight. I got the times. Mm-hmm. He ran mm-hmm. four five two when he ran one time. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and you that can, time went out to all thirty two teams. Yeah. And and as Nomad says, you can throw Bijan Robinson uh, 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 in that group of players that are not going to be drafted at number nine by the well, Chicago. Well, yeah, Bears. you don't you don't take a one contract player in the top ten. Mm-hmm. I yep. mean, that's it's you, you used to mm-hmm. twenty years ago. You did. You don't anymore. Mm-hmm. It's a different game. Robert seems to remember that you have said some negative stuff about JSN. Uh, what have you heard about him that you'd like to share? Well, just that. Is he all in? There's a lot of people who thought he could play during the year mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that he's protecting himself. And so that tells me, Diva. Um, and then, and, and, and also, he was expecting to be the guy. Now, he did have a little ham pull in that first game against Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, this guy named Marvin Harrison Jr., jump to the top and is a far better player than JSN could ever think about being. And he becomes a number two. Then they had another guy who got his chance uh, to play and he was pretty damn good too. He wasn't going to get the targets. Hmm. You know, this guy in the games he played, he played in three games, he caught four passes hmm. and people wonder, Oh my, you know, my hand just doesn't feel good. I can't play. Yeah. Right. Give me a fucking break. <laughs> Hamstrings don't take, don't take three months to heal. Yep. <laughs> All right. Um, Nathan has a great question. So, what three tech would you take at number nine? Is there, there any- isn't one? Yeah, I said I was going to. I mean, check. there, there, there's Jalen. I don't think you know. I'm just going on what polls has said, and especially in an interview um, last week. Mm-hmm. out in, in, uh, in Phoenix, where he said, there will be a time when I feel the locker room is right that you can bring in some people that you have some questions about. Be- yeah, b- because mm-hmm. your locker room can control it. Mm-hmm. I don't think he feels his locker room's at that level yet. Mm-hmm. And now... Saying all that, he's in today, and how that goes will have a huge bearing on mm-hmm. their final decision. Right. They could come out and say, you know what, if he's there, we'll, we'll take him today. You know, based on, and let me tell you, that's not going to be a fun interview for him. No. He's going to get hammered to death. Yeah. And how he reacts and relates to those questions, mm-hmm. uh, how he answers those questions, um, that's going to be very, very important because they're, they're going to shut the door this mm-hmm. afternoon. They're going to have their decision made. Wow. And, and you don't see a scenario where they might trade up to acquire Carter, do you? I don't see there's any sort of they trade up, period. Yeah. I, 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 I don't. would baffle mm-hmm. me. I mean, go ahead. Yeah, I just don't see it. Having to trade up with with one of those twos to get in that top 
portion of the second because there's some really good players in that top half of the second round. Yep. I've uh, I've been praying for that too. Uh, a higher second round pick would be really, really great. Um, has the injury thing with Tyree Wilson made him lose some of his luster? King Book of World wants to know. Tyree Wilson's doctor uh, released a letter uh, saying, you know, we everything looks fine, but we've asked him not to work out for two or three weeks because of perspira perspiration on the scar and blah blah blah. Do yeah, they took they uh, took out the hard they took out the screws that were in there. Okay. Um, okay. I think we talked about this once before. We did, yes. And when I see a doctor make a statement, I'm a little leery. Mm -hmm. uh, because it's not, and now I'm saying that the doctor he had is way up here. He's very highly thought of. Mm -hmm. Very, very good surgeon. One of the best in the country, if not the best. But still, to put that out and release it, that tells me, and I could be totally off base here, so that things didn't go according to plan, so to speak, at the combine. When mm -hmm. when and and that doesn't mean thirty-two teams saw it that way. Could be three or four didn't like the way it was healing or whatever, you know, because. Mm -hmm. The doc, the medical exams are like scouting reports. Mm -hmm. They vary, and it's how you know the the experience that medical staff has with certain type of injuries and how players at certain positions come back from those injuries. That often has a lot to do with you know what their final grade is going to be on a guy. Right. You know what we're going to find out on him. We're going to find out. You're not going to get a workout on him. You're going to find out on draft night. You know, and if all of a sudden he starts falling, mm -hmm. because regardless of the letter, there's teams that didn't feel real good about that that injury or the surgery or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, Michael Haltech has another question. Polls talked about Braxton Jones being bigger and stronger after his work this offseason. What do we know about Larry Borum and Alex Leatherwood? Have your sources told you anything about their offseason work? No. And, and they're, I mean, they can go into Hallis and work. Mm -hmm. They can work with the strength coach. They can't, under the CBA, they can't really do any football stuff with the their position coach mm -hmm. uh, or they can work out on their own somewhere there's some there's some places around town that if guys who live here they go to those uh, uh, Olin has a place that some guys work at and there's, there's a place I think down in Deerfield that other guys go to um, and and work on specific stuff uh, Braxton Jones, I think he's going to be a hell of a left tackle, but I also realize that depending on who they take at tackle, he could very well end up on the right side. Um, if they took Paris, Paris has actually two years' experience. First two years in college, he was a right guard. Backup mm -hmm. right tackle and a starting right guard. Um, so he's played the right side. So there is no positional switch 
it, it wouldn't be difficult for him to to uh, make that change, having played left tackle last year. Um, you take Jones from Georgia. Now, he's a pretty damn good left tackle. Mm-hmm. And if it's me, I might just keep him there. Because, you know, he's real nifty. He's got the size. He's got the demeanor. So I think it, it, it depends on the player. But mm-hmm. I'm not – Braxton Jones is, a, is an impressive kid, and I don't think there's any issue at all with his football character. And he knew coming out of the season what he needed to work on. And, you know, and I had a, a discussion, might have been a Twitter discussion about – you know, why didn't he do that stuff in school? Why wasn't he ready? I go, man, look where he came from. He came from Southern Utah. He didn't play at Alabama. He didn't play at Georgia. Mm-hmm. You know what? I mean, the what he's being taught, and I'm not talking about just coaching. I'm talking what's going on in the weight room, the the facilities in the weight room. Right. You know. He wasn't weak. He did 26 or 27 reps at, at 225, but was he doing all the stuff that was really pertinent to being a pro lineman? Mm-hmm. Okay. He didn't have, when you watch tape of him when he was in college, you never saw going against, and he played at the FCS level now. He wasn't high division one. And so he never had a problem with anchoring. He never showed a problem at the senior bowl with anchoring. Mm-hmm. But now he got up here playing against NFL players. He had a problem with anchoring, which tells you he needs to get stronger in the lower body, in the ass and his, and his thighs. And there's stuff he can do. And, and probably I said to this person, I said, it wouldn't shock me if he has a 20% gain in, in lower body strength. You know, you're going to see a totally different player. But, and I think a lot of it has to do is that he's conscientious enough to know exactly what he has to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nomad says, I don't want to piss Greg off, but does he think uh, Braxton Jones has the aptitude to transfer to the right side? You know, I, I don't know if he might have played a little bit on the right side when he was in college, but if I recall, he was strictly a left guard. That's what I remember. To me, it's easy, especially mm-hmm. if you're right-handed, because mm-hmm. your right hand's down. Leatherwood couldn't do it. Leatherwood was strictly a left tackle at Alabama. When the Raiders put him on the right side, he was terrible. It's like a different player. Mm. And some, but most players can do that conversion. Um, let's say they take. Jones from Georgia, just for sake of an argument here. Mm-hmm. Okay, now you're gonna you're gonna start the off-season program for rookies starts the 15th of, of May, and so you're gonna have the 15th of May until roughly the 15th of June. You know there'll, there'll be off-season program practices, OTAs, and mini camp to go through. During that period, the coaches will play. Both Joneses at right and both Joneses at left. Mm-hmm. And make a decision. You know, and say, and then go into camp and say, this guy can play one side, this guy can play the other. 
it's going to be, you know, it's going to be real simple. I, I, when you listen to the guy talk, he's a smart kid. Very articulate, well-spoken kid. I don't, you know, so the aptitude, I mean, hell, he, he, he played every single snap as a rookie. Mm -hmm. He got the aptitude. Right, right. Yeah, I, I love how immediately after a game, reporters would question him, and he self-evaluated himself in such a candid manner and would talk about particular particular plays where he didn't do the right thing. And sometimes he'd even say, you know, my the guard next to me told me to do this, and I didn't, uh, you know, understand, and so there was miscommunication or whatever. I'm, I'm paraphrasing that, but he's just candid and honest and self-reflective. And to do that immediately after the game and talk about what he needed to work on, to me, is very commendable. Hey, Eric Bono uh, has had some interaction with people who have downplayed what Ryan Pose did at Kansas City. He says that uh, there's a lot of people diminishing Ryan Pose's impact on building the offensive line there because he wasn't the GM. Is there any way you can comment on that for Eric? Yeah, he was a director of player personnel. He <laughs> was a big important part of the personnel department. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's part of what was in his resume and, and yeah, portfolio. You know, uh, <laughs> and on top of that, he's a former offensive lineman. Uh -huh. Exactly. Yeah, he was in on probably just about every decision that was made. Yes. Was in the discussion. Just like Ian Cunningham is in on every discussion mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. Ryan Poles has. Yeah, I think a lot of that comes from, Eric, you know, uh, people are upset with Poles didn't do more to fix the offensive line last season. But again, you got to get back to, you know, scheme fits, traits, and so forth. And so Ryan Poles wasn't going to draft somebody who was a mistake, was was an exception, to use Bill Parcells' phrase. Well, you look at the people, Eldo, you look at the people he drafted mm -hmm. on the offensive line, he drafted four. And then mm -hmm. one got poached, and one who I thought was going to be a pretty good player, a kid from San Diego State. Mm -hmm. But they, well, the one guy got poached. <coughs> <coughs> Sorry. Sorry. They were all very good athletes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Every single one of them. And especially for that, that position. There was guys playing last year that weren't scheme fits. Mm -hmm. You had to get by with them. Larry Boren is not a scheme fit. Is Larry Boren good enough? You probably got to drop a little more weight. Is he good enough to be a backup? Yeah. You're always going to be looking to upgrade. Mm -hmm. Whether it's this year or next year, you still want to upgrade because, you know, he's a vanilla. Mm -hmm. You can get by with him but he's not exactly what you want. Right. right. He not, put him in a different scheme, he might be great. Talking in this scheme. Mm. Got a question here from Victor De Jesus uh, regarding a potential trade. He says, what are the chances the Bears reach back out to Pittsburgh to trade their first pick 
and number 32 to move up to number nine. The Bears can, can then target Wright from Tennessee or Clancy from Pittsburgh. So he's saying for the number nine pick, we would uh, get the 17th pick. Is that from Pittsburgh? Yeah, 17. Yeah, and They'd owe you more than that. Yeah. I've already, I've already done that one. So uh, the, so the Bears should expect to get more than, more, than? They, they get more than that. Yeah, I, I'd move – I trade sixty one for thirty two. Okay, not, not fifty three. Give gotcha. them the work. because if, if you traded fifty three, mm-hmm. then they even owe you more. Hmm. Um, but am I taking right or can't see? No. And, yeah, and, sure. and and that would depend on who they took at seventeen. Mm-hmm. And if Let's say now when you get into 17, you're talking a different group of players. One name that jumps out at me, I don't, you know, again, doesn't matter how I have guys rated, matters how the Bears have them rated. But one is Keon White. And if Keon White was a Chicago Bear, he's going to be a three technique. Mm. And he's going to be a motherfucker of a three technique. I love um, it. In my opinion, he's 285 pounds, he's going to run. And he's strong, got a great motor, and he can play outside too. Um, but that that's my opinion. Then what I would do, again, based on how I got guys ranked, I'd take Matthew Bergeron from Syracuse with that 32 pick, and there's your tackle. There you go. Yeah, you like that guy. Yeah, and I love how in the barroom draft exclusives you pronounced his name with that French Canadian accent. Matthew Bozeron. <laughs> Sounds great to me. <laughs> I, w- I wonder if uh, the Bears uh, radio play-by-play guy would pronounce it that way. All right, let's squeeze in a couple of more here. Gervon Dexter has been getting a lot of attention in the chat room, and Nomad says Gervon Dexter is a better player than DeForest Buckner was at Oregon. His no way is really high. I, I knew you were going to disagree. Buckner was a top ten pick. Doesn't see it. He doesn't Gervon see it. Nomad. Do you, can you that. see Gervon? <laughs> do you see Gervon moving potentially playing the three tech? He seems too big for me, although he is athletic. No, he's athletic. No, it, it's it's not necessarily size, it's the athleticism. First step, mm-hmm. the ability to trade. Yeah, he could do it. Is he exactly what you want? No. But can you get by? I'll tell you, there's a guy. Do you got the list of the, the players coming in? Uh, yeah, I know the, you mean- the Irish, the Irish guys. Yeah. There's about nine names. I'm sure they've already invited all 30, but there's about nine names that are out there. There's a kid who was a non-combine guy from Pitt. Uh, and he was at the top of the, the Irish bears, uh, podcast. Irish Bear, yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't think of the guy's name, but anyway, he was a non-combine guy. It's about 280 pounds. And you watch tape. And Pitt had a pretty damn good defensive line. Mm-hmm. That guy projects to a three technique. And I can see why they want to bring him in because he does project to a three technique. Mm-hmm. Three techniques got to have some special qualities. You can't just throw a guy in there. You know, he's got to be a penetrator. He's got to be quick off the ball. He's got to have some inside pass rush ability. 
you know, so Cansey would be ideal. What's scary about Cansey is his arms are this long. Mm-hmm. You know, and, mm-hmm. and again, I'll repeat it. That's a coaching decision. Um, you know, they're going to say, no, we don't, we got to have a guy with longer arms than that. Um, you know, people will fight it, but you know what? If the coaches say no, they say no. Right. Um, according to Walter Football, the players uh, who have or are scheduled to visit Hallis Hall are the following. Um, let's see. Start with Will Anderson, Julius Brents, the cornerback from Kansas State. The now, Apple- they, they have them on that website. They have them coded. They could have talked to these guys at the combine. They could yeah. Have- let me find that. Hold on, because I, I, I saw it through Sports Illustrated. Walter Football. What do you think about those guys over there, Charlie Campbell, and I forgot the other guy who, who runs that site. They seem to have a lot of sources. Uh, are, do you like those guys? No. But, I, you know, <laughs> I, I think a lot of the stuff they got is full of shit. But, <laughs> I love it. But... <laughs> See if I can find this. Mock drafts, NFL draft by visits tracker. Okay, so let us scroll down. Uh, let's get rid of the ad first. Scroll down to Chicago Bears, and we got our list here. Wow, it's quite a lengthy list. Yeah, but see, they got on there. There's a code for each one, yes. and they could have talked to them in an All Star game. You know, right. it might be East-West, Senior Bowl, NFLPA. Uh, there's the Combine. Could have right. talked to him at his pro day. And then the visit. I've seen, I think, like I say, nine names. And and local kids don't count because the, the quarterback from Purdue, O'Connell, and the receiver from uh, Michigan State are coming in. And there we go. They don't, they don't, they don't count because okay. they're local. Right. So the private visits is what we're most interested in, correct? Right. The the 30 visits, the top 30. I hate using the word top 30 because it's not your top 30 players. Right. Double uh, A from Northwestern. Deslin. Well, he doesn't count. Double A doesn't count because That's he's right, because he's local, right? Uh, what about uh, Deslin Alexandra, the defensive end from Pitt? That's the guy I was uh, That's talking about. He, he's a non-combine guy that's a uh, – um, projected as a I think he was a he was a, a defensive end for Pitt but he projects he's played inside he projects as a three okay um Will Anderson was at the combine Julius Brent's at the combine Jalen Carter private visit that's today right Jalen Duncan is a private visit he's a he's a pretty good tackle for Maryland yeah uh has played on the right side early in his career the last few years he's played on the left uh, really improved this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can be a physical guy. You know, he, he, he can come in and start as a rookie. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. What about – I just saw that name, the three technique for the kid from uh, Canoe Bet. He's not – he's a nose. Really? Because there's been a lot of discussion about he's him. He's a nose. The he's quickness- a one tech. The quickness that he showed at the senior bowl. I don't care what he showed at the senior bowl. He's a boy. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, 
I love it. Uh, yeah, if you want a profile of Desolate Alexander, Nomad did one here at the bar room. Uh, just uh, tune in tomorrow, and we'll tell you exactly where you can find that. Uh, let's see. Who else is on this list of private visits? Paris Johnson from Ohio State. Uh, Marty Mapu, the safety from Sacramento State. I don't know much about him. Frankly. I don't know anything about him, but, you know, he could be a guy that late-round guy – um, potential UDFA that you want to get a physical on. Gotcha. When you bring a guy in, you're required by league laws to give the guy a medical. Oh, now, if he's really? been in, oh yeah, yeah, that, that's what it's about. And so, you like for Jalen Carter, he's had the medical at the combine. Mm-hmm. His medical today will consist of: Has anything happened to you uh, since the combine? Any physical thing? No. Okay, you're good. Um, you know, basically a little Q and A, but if the guy wasn't at the combine and you got to give him a complete medical. Mm-hmm. Wow. I did not know that. All yep. right. So uh, Jonathan Mingo, the wide receiver from Ole Miss, he's an intriguing candidate, but uh, he's a big receiver. They can run yeah. Yeah. plays plays. Doesn't look as fast as he times. He timed pretty good. I don't think he plays that fast. Mm-hmm. But, he's, but he's a good receiver. Michigan State's Jaden Reed had a uh, fairly good uh, senior bowl week. And Jalen Reed is a local kid, so he doesn't count. Mm-hmm. You got the kid from um, Dontavian Wicks from Virginia yeah. is coming yeah. in. Yeah, that's not on this list, but yes. Yeah, he- but he's coming in. That is a lock. Okay. Um Jackson Smith Najimba, wide receiver from Ohio State, private visit. Interesting yep. that they would have him. Those, that's the end of the list for the private uh, visits, according to Walter Football. You can go to WalterFootball.com to take a, a, a longer look at that list. Um, let's get another couple of questions out of here, and then we'll close this episode. Uh, let's go. So you already answered this one, Keanu Benton. What about Cobalt Turner, uh, Zach Pickens, and Carl Brooks? Anything you want to share about those guys? Pickens, I think maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know Turner and Brooks. I'll have to do. Let me put that down. Carl Brooks, Cobalt Turner. Carl Brooks is that defensive end from I think it's Boston College. Uh, intriguing prospect. Uh, couple of other questions. Uh, King wants to know, there was a slight murmur about the Bears trading with Washington for a player and pick any truth and for a player and they pick. Any truth to that? Have you heard any mumblings about a potential trade? No, I mean, you you get a lot of stuff going on this type of year that, you know, Mm -hmm. people on Twitter make up. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Your source of the most lies, <laughs> Twitter. There it is. Thank you, uh, J Rock. Uh, Brooks is. Oh, from Bowling Green. Green. Okay. I know a little bit. Yeah. The Bowling Green guy played an end. Mm-hmm. Yes. And and they dominated the Mac. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he, he'd be a three inside. But I haven't studied him at length. Mm-hmm. Uh, to see exactly how good. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was a 300 pound guy that played outside and, and you're not going to, you're not going to play outside in the NFL. He could be a five technique uh, in a three, four front. And so technically that's outside, but mm-hmm. uh, 
for the Bears, he'd, he'd more than likely uh, be a three. Interesting. All right. I think that's going to – let's see. we got one last comment here. Uh, Foster wants to know, defensive line Keandre Hall, six-rounder to UDF, anyone? Uh, do you know much about Keandre Hall? Uh, this has been uh, somebody that's been on Foster's radar for a while. From Pitt State in Kansas? I believe it is. Let me see. Key. I, I've been there, by the way. It's in southeastern Kansas. Uh, Way south. Where haven't you been? (laughs) Uh, I have been to just about every school in the country that has a football program, at least at the FCS level or better. Mm, Pittsburgh State Gorillas. I've even been to a game at that place. Really? Uh, Oh, yeah. But um, I have done nothing on him, and I don't have any Pittsburgh State films, so I'm going to have to call my buddy Eric Yelko and send me some Pittsburgh State tape. All right. So you've got a promise. Next Monday we will be back here, and uh, Greg has two or three players to scout based on your suggestions in the chat room. I want to write this one down, too. Let me – you got Keandre Hall. No relation to the uh, – what was his name? The long-armed uh, defensive back the Bears drafted about seven years ago. Uh, he had a similar – He was name. from uh, northern Iowa, that guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and I see those legs, yeah. <laughs> um so that's our show for today. Uh, later tonight, it is South Burbs Hitmen. Are, are you a White Sox fan, Greg? No. Cubs? I'm not a big baseball fan. I mean, you know, I because I've been in this business my whole adult life. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you get into spring training and I'm getting ready for a draft and stuff. So I've never mm-hmm. been – when I was growing up, I was a Yankee fan. Because, okay. you know, lived in New York State. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm any kind of fan, it's probably the Cubbies. Because mm-hmm. most of the people at Hallis Hall were Cubbies. Mm-hmm. Um, but <clears throat> I'm not going to tell you I sit and watch every game. <laughs> Please don't, <laughs> unless you need a nap. <laughs> I love baseball. Well, actually, this new pitcher's clock, have you I'll seen t- I, now, Yeah, I did. And I, 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 I think that's the best thing that ever happened to baseball. But it, it – it screws up some pitchers big time. And the one guy, you know, he got hit with a, with a ball in the opening game. Um, it used to drive. That's why I didn't watch baseball because mm-hmm. these guys would get the ball and it would be, you know, now you got 20 seconds or 15 seconds to get the ball out of your hand. At least start mm-hmm. your lineup. Well, these guys would sit around, they take off their glove, they'd rub the ball, go grab the rods and bag, walk around, you know, it'd be like a minute and a half between each pitch. It's crazy. Yeah, and now it's like, bam, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. You better get, you got to get ready to go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it's going to affect some pitchers more than others. Mm-hmm. But it's, if it speeds up the game, I read somewhere it said 23 minutes. I think it's going to be a lot more than 23 minutes on average when they get done. 
I hope so. I hope so. And, and so there's big controversy now uh, that some fans are saying, I liked it better the way it was because I was at the ballpark for three, three and a half hours as opposed to the two hours that I'm at now. I don't feel like I'm getting my money's worth. And it's like, please, don't, don't tell me you want to sit and watch baseball for Put three it this and a half way. hours. As slow as the game was, uh-huh. a guy could come up, throw his first pitch. You could leave, uh, go to the bathroom, take a leak, go get a beer, and come back, and he'd only be on his third pitch. That's right. The only thing that you would miss is the guy scratching his nuts. Or uh, right, right. <laughs> See, all that, all that shit's gone now. Uh, Don Burr, Lions fan, wants to know if you will be at the Lions Super Bowl parade. Never. <laughs> Enough said. South Burbs Hitmen tonight and more football tomorrow here in the Barroom Network. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. You'll get all the alerts letting us letting you know when we're live. Take care, everybody. Thank you, Greg. Okay, guys. See you later.